This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. I just listed a bunch of stuff on my eBay store, a couple of magnetically shielded speakers, some hard drives and stuff, so I just wanted to give everybody a heads up in case you're interested. And also, if you run a web store where you sell products, please hang out at the end because I have a few tips that might or might not help. And if you don't, I don't know, you're probably going to be bored to death, so just skip that part. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up, pre-orders are now open for a vinyl version of the Mega Man Battle Network 2 soundtrack. That's the Game Boy Advance game. And they're available from retailers all over the world for about 30 bucks, with the schedule release being quarter three of this year. So probably late summer, fall, something like that. And this is actually the second release in the series, with the other soundtrack being released previously this year or last year. Um, the soundtrack for the first game is still available for pre-order at some of those places, so if you wanted both of them, definitely check it out. But links to absolutely everything you need, including the different color options and everything else, are available right here in Crystal's post. Pre-orders will be reopening in a couple of weeks for an SNES to Neo Geo controller adapter. This is a passive adapter that will plug into any original Neo Geo console or any Supergun that has a similar pinout. So most would work with buttons one through four and five and six are mapped to the shoulder buttons. Depending on the button layout of your Supergun, that might work out or not. Anybody that's used Superguns before already knows what I'm talking about, so I don't want to bore anybody to death. Anybody who doesn't use Superguns, Anything that you use to connect an arcade board to monitors and controllers is always going to be a little bit complicated, so just expect weird stuff like that. However, um, this adapter is designed by Todd from Retrofrog and has about one millisecond of latency or less. Millisecond, not frame, making this essentially... A, a zero lag controller adapter and the only issue might be light gun games but there are no light gun games on the neo geo so it's just considered a zero lag adapter plug any super nintendo controller in including 8-bit wireless controllers were tested on this as well i would not expect any peripherals to work like the mouse or something like that but it's not what this is designed for this is just designed for getting your snes controllers on Neo Geo's or Super Guns. Pre-orders were open and they completely closed, but like I said when I first started this, I still wanted to talk about this and prep everybody for it because in a few weeks more pre-orders will be open. So 
Next time, I'll give a little less of an explanation because hopefully I'll be prepping everybody in this one. But I'll keep everybody posted as soon as the next pre-orders open up. Uh, and if you want a basic video on it, just check out the video that Todd did that I embedded in this post. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB. And last week, we placed an order for what I hope is the final version of the SCART cleaner. So this week, I want to show exactly what's happening in the factory after you place an order. So while I've never been to an assembly facility as state-of-the-art and massive as JLC PCBs, I have been to these places and I can kind of show you what's going on. First, here's their component preparation section. So whenever you do your assembly order and you ask for components, this is where they pull them from. And I imagine this is probably also where they scan in parts that you have sent to them so that for larger orders, if you have stuff that you wanted them to add to it. Now, here is the solder paste application where they take the stencils, which I showed how those work a couple times in this podcast, but they run the solder paste through the stencils so that it goes only on the components that you need to solder stuff to. So it's imagine a perfectly green motherboard where the solder paste are only on the pads that components go to. Then it goes through an inspection station to make sure that that paste didn't leak off onto other stuff. And then into the pick and place machine, which is probably the coolest thing you could look at in assembly facilities like this, because they take tiny little components and place them exactly where they need to be on the motherboard based on that file that you generate in your PCB software. So that's the assembly file that you have to upload whenever I show those. And it's just so cool to watch these machines go so quickly and put these components in the exact correct place. Next, they go through the heater where they're reflowed. And this is basically what takes that solder paste, heats it up, and has it so that they stick to the board and don't come off. So it's like hand soldering, but through a machine. And then, of course, it goes through the inspection station to make sure everything worked. And then any manual assembly like a SCART connector, if you were making quantities of 100, would get hand soldered here. So overall, this is just a very quick way to go through exactly how this manufacturing process works. And it doesn't really do it justice, but I wanted to talk through both for people listening audio only and show people who are watching this as a video, just because I think if you haven't ever seen anything like this in person, it is kind of fascinating to see how it works. One of these days, too, I want to do a video on how wave soldering works because that's just super impressive and I could stare at that machine all day long. The developer Infidelity has just ported the NES game Mega Man 2 to the Super Nintendo. And this is actually the second one of those ports he's done. The first was Mega Man 4. And while there's a bunch of stuff to talk about, I think the most important thing to start with is why would you do this? Which, if worded politely, is actually a totally fair question. And from a technical point of view, the main reasons that you might want to do this is first utilizing the faster Super Nintendo chips so you don't get as much, if any, slowdown when there's a bunch of stuff going on at the same time on screen. Anybody who's played original NES games, I think the worst for me was the Dark Nuts in Zelda dungeons that would always create a lot of slowdown. So you could avoid that. And also sprite flicker when there's too many sprites on the same line. That's a discussion for another story. I'm sure Displaced Gamers has a uh, completely awesome video about that. So reducing sprite flicker and reducing slowdown, that's definitely a big one. Also, very simply, all you would need to get RGB out of a Super Nintendo is a cable, whereas in NES, you would require a pretty complicated mod. So if Mega Man 2 is one of your favorite games and you have an SNES and a ROM cart, but not original NES or, or an RGB mod for it, there you go. 
also this lays the groundwork for any future mods so if somebody wanted to they could take the time which is very time consuming i'm not blowing this off as if this is an easy thing to do but if somebody really wanted to now the coding groundwork is there to start replacing graphics so if somebody wanted to they could actually do a super mario all-stars style port where they could change the graphics to <clears throat> to different more 16-bit looking Mega Man graphics and in fact according to chris from displaced gamers i think that's exactly what super mario all-stars did they ported the original games just like Infidelity did over to the SNES and then just replaced the graphics, which is pretty awesome. Now, a few other things to note. <clears throat> this was done manually in hexadecimal. This was not done using Project Nested, which is amazing. I love that project. I think it's super cool, but I just wanted to note that this was done manually. Also, the sound might be a tiny bit off as the SNES sound chips work differently than the NES ones. However, an MSU1 version is in the works that could take any soundtrack and add it to it. The original NES, any of the orchestrated versions, whatever. And on top of all of that, um, Infidelity is also working on reducing some of the overall flicker that was coded into the original NES game. And he's hitting a couple of roadblocks at the moment. So while I still think overall I liked it better because it just felt a little bit more fluid, um, and I, it felt a little bit faster, which I think he said was had to do with how the game was ported over. It was a tiny bit faster. But overall, I just I think it was amazing. And I did a live stream where I swapped back and forth between the NES original outputting composite, this outputting RGB on an SNES, and I used a controller adapter. So I'm using the same exact SNES controller on both. We'll get to that in a minute. And then I also, at the very end, played Wily Wars, which was basically a Super Mario All-Stars style remake, but for the Genesis. And I think I like this one the best. The level I played, I only played one level of Mega Man 2, but the level I played on Wily Wars was glitchy. And it's all in the live stream if uh, anybody's interested. So more info is in the live stream if you want a long form version of this to kind of see for yourself. I linked to Infidelity's post where you could get the ROM and everything else. But overall, this was really awesome. And I love to see this. And it, I do, I don't know why, but I just take it so personally when people are like, why would anybody do this? It's dumb. Just fire up an emulator and use that. And it's, it's not at all the point of this. Yes, of course, you could emulate Mega Man 2 for free via software anytime you want but how cool is that that we get to play it on original snes hardware i'm sure somebody could actually put it on an original cartridge if they wanted to just to prove like this could have been done back in the day so i thought that was really awesome i like the project a lot and i wanted to take a few moments here to explain it and i also fingers crossed i hope infidelity will start working on a few other games because i'd love to see the original zelda game ported so at the very least, we could play it without slowdown, but then we might be able to get MSU1 soundtracks to it, like was done with, I believe, Project Nested. But then we might even be able to start doing things like taking the BS Zelda graphics and overlaying those onto it. So we truly could get an All-Stars style remake of the original Zelda. And heck, imagine if it was done with Zelda 2 as well, and you could use the Zelda Metroid randomizer to make all of the side-scrolling scenes run on the Super Metroid engine and all the top-down running on the Zelda engine. Wishful thinking, that's unbelievable amounts of work, but uh, it's this is the groundwork for stuff like that. Or you could just play the port of the game and enjoy it as is. 
Mr. Add-ons is now selling a $13 controller adapter that lets you use SNES controllers on the NES. And this is what I used in that Mega Man live stream. And this is a 100% zero lag controller adapter. If you want to know why and how this is possible, I would strongly recommend checking out Chris from Displaced Gamers video on how the NES controller works, because there are lots of good visualizations to see how by just tapping into the buttons that the NES needs, you can do this without any conversion chips. So because it is a zero lag adapter, technically speaking, you could use light guns on it. However, that doesn't work. First and foremost, the Super Scope works totally different. And just for fun, I plugged in the Justifier from Lethal Enforcers into this and tried it with Duck Hunt and the screen didn't even flash. So I'm sure something like that might be possible, but it would have to be a custom controller adapter. Basically, I would use this for controllers, not peripherals. So no mouse, no light guns, nothing else weird. If you just want to use that very comfortable SNES controller on your original NES hardware, or I guess through controller adapters too, Snack and Damon Byte adapters might work. So, you know, maybe this could save you some cash and get you a way to play SNES controllers on your NES. I don't know. It's $13. So it's one of those things where it's like, if you think you probably would like one, it's not going to break the bank. It's not like you have to invest in it. So I just, I thought it was very cool. And, you know, on a, on a personal note, this is one of those things where back in the day, I probably would have lost my mind if I could have used an SNES controller on my NES, especially right when I, I first got an, NES, an SNES and still was playing the older console now and then. For me personally, I loved it for doing the things like the side-by-side -side comparison I was doing in that live stream, but this is where nostalgia kicks in for me, which is dumb. I know it's, you know, you should go with whatever's the most comfortable, whatever's the best working, but I do, when I play NES games, I do like to play it on an NES controller. I, that's just my stupid opinion. You play it however you would like to play it. But so while I'm glad I got to try the adapter for me personally, I want that nostalgia of playing that NES controller, but I Maybe my opinion's going to change. Maybe since I have this in my box of NES stuff, I'm just going to continuously go to my SNES controller whenever I play. But that's telling you that my stupid opinion was also kind of another way to reinforce that it's $13. So if you're on the fence like me, uh, we spend a lot of money in retro gaming. So, you know, the, the price of one New York City Starbucks coffee, maybe you should pick this up. Developer Rich Whitehouse has just released a new version of the big PMU Atari Jaguar emulator, and this one adds CD plus graphic support for some of the CD games, as well as a few quality of life improvements and a bunch of bug fixes. So if you already have the emulator installed, select information and hit check for updates. And if you don't have it installed, you should definitely try it because it's completely free and it plays the entire Jaguar library. Cartridges, CDs, now CD plus G. So it's absolutely awesome and definitely worth trying out. And if you have the ability to support Rich on Patreon, I strongly recommend doing so because as I've learned myself firsthand, I think that a lot of these projects would never exist if it wasn't for support on platforms like Patreon or whatever else. And I always try my best to support wherever I can. Plus, uh, Rich has had a really shit time with a cancer battle. If you want to get very freaked out, read that last Patreon post and see what he's been going through. But if you want to uh, see a slightly more lighthearted version of it, we talk about that and all of his work in a recent interview that we did. So you can certainly check that out there if you would like. So shout out to Rich. I hope you're, uh, hope you're feeling better and uh, you're never going to get me to say the real name of the emulator. Besides, Big PMU sounds funny.
8-Bit Doe has just released a firmware update for a few models of their wireless controllers that allows support on Apple TV, iPhone, and iPad devices. Lon Seidman put out a video demoing all of this, showing you how it works. Definitely watch that video. Just a few things to add. Um, some Lon talks about, some is just me being me, but all of these controllers have to be put into de-input mode after flashing the new firmware, which means the latency is going to be around 20 milliseconds, which when it comes to wireless controllers, that's not the end of the world. However, you could pick up an Xbox Elite or PS5 DualSense controller that have half of that latency. So I'm saying this because if you already own this controller, just do it. It's free. It's a free update. You can try it out and see. If you're on the fence, oh, I have an Apple TV and I want to start playing games from Apple Arcade, you know, start thinking, what controller do you want? Do you not care? Do you just want a good working controller? Maybe grab one of those other ones. Whereas if you're like, no, I want to grab the SNES style one because that's my favorite controller, like me, and that's kind of the experience I want with one of these, then sure, then 20 milliseconds when it comes to wireless isn't the end of the world. And it also very much depends on the type of game you're playing. I think most modern developers take controller latency in mind when they write these things, but you know, I just always want to put that out there. A couple other things to mention, rumble and motion control are currently not supported at all with no word on if they will be. You can connect up to four controllers at a time per device, which is pretty cool. And the compatibility is the only thing I was a little confused about because the page that I link here shows their Xbox style controller as compatible, but um, I can't really, but the wording that they list doesn't show that one. So I linked to all of the controllers I think will work. Um, so if you haven't purchased one yet, maybe check these out. And if you already own it, just look for a firmware update see if it applies to you and see if it works. But if you don't own one, I would stick to the ones that I linked to here just to absolutely make sure. And the only other thing to note, if you're using an iPad with a USB-C port, you could use some of these controllers wired, not the for Android one, which I don't really understand why, but all the other ones listed here, it will work. And it should be about six milliseconds of latency. At least that's what the Mr. Add-ons controller latency sheet had detected. Of course, the operating system and the target device have a lot to do with it as well. So when I'm saying these numbers like 20 milliseconds, six milliseconds, that's on the controller. I don't think anybody's actually gone through and tested what it's like on Apple devices yet. So I, I just always want to keep latency in mind because none of these controller manufacturers ever talk about it, which drives me crazy. So yeah, this uh, all of the the more fun details are all in Lon's video. I just wanted to go over the nerdy stuff here just to make sure everybody's in the loop. So please check out his video and links to everything are in the post. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted an awesome video that showcases Red Herring 32's Tiny Tendo, which is essentially stemmed from the work Red Herring did on reverse engineering the NES motherboard. That work was taken and miniaturized down into this tiny little board that fits into something the size of an original Game Boy. But then Red Herring went and figured out how to trim the CPU and PPU chips to be used on this board. So technically speaking, you're running original hardware because it's the original processor chips and everything else was built around it. Then they also designed a tiny little recreation of NES cartridges so you could technically flash those and play everything as if it were an original portable NES. And I just think all of this is awesome. I think all of this is so cool. I love projects like this. 
I often talked when Red Herring first released the Open Tendo of how impressed I was with the project itself, but how I thought that could open up doors for a lot of other very cool projects. And this is exactly what I was hoping for. Awesome new evolution of stuff like this. So um, if you're even slightly interested in this, please check out the video. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun to watch. And the only other thing I'll add, which Tito definitely mentioned, is Red Herring did these tests and did the miniaturization of the chips in a way where if you wanted to, you could kind of resolder them and put them back in an original NES. And it's kind of one of those things like, this is definitely not what you would call a no-cut mod, but you're not destroying original hardware. You're repurposing it. There is a way to reuse it if you want. I don't know. This doesn't, this is cool to me. Um, you know, and this is once again, just my stupid opinion. But when I see things like people swish cheese the back of a master system to put, you know, S-Video composite, two audio adapters, even though the, the master system's mono, and then a couple of years later go, oh, I'm just going to use RGB. And now there's just holes in the back of your console. That's why I started the hashtag no cut mod, because those things really drove me nuts. Projects that really evolve and, and really make things completely different while using original hardware like this. I don't think of that as a cut mod, but that's just my opinion. So, you know, and there's always, there's always things in between. Like I always love seeing RGB modded TVs and uh, I don't really care if you cut a, a hole in the back of the plastic, because I bet you, you could find replacement plastic covers for these TVs everywhere in every junkyard. So sorry to rant about no cut mods, but it's something that definitely is important to me. And I definitely wanted to express my thoughts that I don't think this is considered damaging original hardware because you're evolving it and making it to a usable piece of art. Do I sound like an ass saying that? I don't know, but it's awesome. Just watch Tito's video. I recently posted a video that asks the question, how come you can't get 4K60 lossless captures over Thunderbolt, but you can in the same exact computer with the same exact capture card, but just plugged directly onto the motherboard? And this is something that I put a lot of time into, mostly for my own nerdy curiosity, but a lot of the specs and a lot of what I've been learning just doesn't really add up. And some of you amazing folk have been chiming in trying to help, and you've done a great job giving me some advice and some feedback on this, but it still doesn't add up. So here's one of the things that people said that made complete sense to me. Uh, Thunderbolt 3 can only handle up to four PCI lanes on a single device. And in fact, Thunderbolt 4 can only handle one PCI lane per device because Thunderbolt 4 is more designed for things like hubs where you plug tons of stuff into it, not one very fast thing into it. So that would make sense if it was a PCI Express by 16 capture card, but the Live Gamer 4K is a PCI Express 4 uh, capture card, or PCI Express by 4, so it should be 4 lanes, so would that, that shouldn't be a factor, and I had a few people mention things like maybe it's latency, funny that lag always comes back to bite me, but maybe the Thunderbolt controller can't keep up with writing the data that fast, because that is a very fast speed of capture that requires a ton of data coming through. So that made sense, except I've had a few different people reach out and say that they've done testing with SSDs where they were getting faster transfer speeds over Thunderbolt than is required for 4K60 lossless capture. So it was, I'm not sure if that, if any of that is really true. I don't, I'm not an expert at this stuff, but that's why I wanted to ask the question because every time somebody 
provides another video or another source of information or some more specs, I learn a lot more, but it still doesn't make sense. And I think the number one telling factor that I'm not testing wrong is that Avermedia caps their live gamer bolt at 4K 50 when using RGB color space. If you're using 422, any kind of compression, 4K 60 works totally fine. But with uncompressed color, you can't get more than 4K 50 which kind of lines up because when I averaged out my test results, I was at about 4K53. So it makes sense that they would just cap it at a round number. And same thing with Blackmagic Design and their external Thunderbolt capture box that I've been testing. So it's one of these things where no one's really talking about why. And the answer could be as simple as, hey, Bob, you moron, you forgot about this spec on this page of the website. It's been published there forever. But if it was that easy, how come so many incredibly smart people who have jumped in to help didn't see it either? So if you feel like jumping in and trying to help solve this, cool, please watch the video. The only things to note about the video, number one, I tested multiple Thunderbolt cables. I tested the ones that came with both of the enclosures I got, and I even bought another name brand, full speed rated three foot cable just to make sure that wasn't it. It's very stupid of me to not include that info in the video, because as anybody that watches and listens to this channel knows, cables can always be a source of trouble, but I definitely tried more. Also for the internal Thunderbolt card, the one that was slotted, some people had suggested uh, trying it in the top PCI slot. Uh, I did, and it just didn't work. And yes, I know when you swap things around, you need to change settings in the motherboard's BIOS. I, I did all that, and it just would only work in one slot, which was strange because I didn't think that was going to be a problem. But that's a moot point anyway, because the totally different motherboard with onboard Thunderbolt did the same thing. Now, the one thing that was interesting to me is a few people suggested, hey, you only used Z590 chipset motherboards, even though I used two. Maybe it's the way those motherboards, two different manufacturers, by the way, but maybe it's how those manufacturers integrate their Thunderbolt into it. Maybe it is the same as slotting it and they're not using the full speed. So try a 790 chipset motherboard or a different brand I don't have the budget for that at all, which is why I'm asking for all of your help. So basically check out the video. Let me know. Um, I think I provided info to everything uh, that you could need to do it. Everything, all of the software should be free, but you'd have to buy a capture card that could do it and you'd have to feed it a 4K source. The only other thing that would be neat to know is what different codecs could handle it. UT video worked perfect. And obviously it, I proved that it worked fine internally. So there's no reason the codec wouldn't work externally, but I would love to know, has anybody else used different codecs to do this exact thing? Is there better ones to use? I just used what worked to be honest with you. And uh, so that's just something I definitely wanted to double check, but yeah, I'd love to reach out and ask for more help. If it turns out I'm just a moron and I got something wrong, I'll either just leave the video unlisted and uh, do a follow-up quick social media post. I could dig deeper, but I'm at the end of my budget for this and definitely the end of my knowledge, which, you know, I don't want to sound pompous, but I've been doing computer stuff professionally like my entire life. So when I say I have exhausted my resources on this, don't think I spent an hour on it and walked away. I absolutely worked my butt off for no reason. Most of the time, people don't even care about this. All of your Thunderbolt docks will work perfectly. Your Thunderbolt capture cards work great all the way up to 4K 30 with uncompressed colors or even 4K 60 with slightly compressed colors. This is not a big deal for most people, but it is important for me because I want to continue to try to get different ways to utilize 
older capture cards and equipment externally for things like laptops or newer motherboards that don't have as many PCI slots. And this is just something I kind of wanted to go through and see if I could try and see how that would work. But I guess we're going to be stuck at the mercy of all of this. The only other thing I'll add is I kept reversing gigabyte and gigabit when I was talking. And anybody that makes videos knows it's a lot of work to reshoot, re-edit, re-render, re-upload, re-watch. So I left it in both out of laziness and also because sometimes I'm just a child that thinks it's funny when trolls lose their mind because I said the wrong word. I know I should be a better person, but it makes me giggle. So sorry. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Nicole Express just posted another blog entry talking about getting RGB from the SG-1000. Now, if you've been following Nicole's blog, she loves to go through and do technical write-ups on everything ranging from consoles that we all know to very weird and obscure pachinko machines and stuff like that. I'm a big, big fan of that blog. Lots of cool technical info in there, lots of fun stuff to read. Uh, But this time, the blog entry was about something that maybe more people might be interested in than uh, hacking a pachinko machine and getting RGB from Sega's SG-1000 II console. The SG-1000 was Sega's first console and that evolved into the master system. However, this original one only outputted RF. So Nicole kind of went through and talked about the differences between other similar consoles and talked about the color palettes and uh, color differences between them. Not the palettes, it's all the same palette. And it was just another awesome entry into into you know, super nerdy RGB stuff. The only thing I'll add is while everything in Nicole's post was spot on, Tian Fong is actually working on a plug and play RGB adapter for the SG-1000 consoles. So you could just kind of plug it right in the back and you're able to use any standard uh, RGB cable on it. So more info on that whenever it's available to be released. But if you want kind of like a a primer on that and some really cool information on how this stuff works, please check out Nicole's post. And just a, a quick side note, while you can support Nicole on Patreon, all of her blog entries are completely free and public. So this is one of those where it's like, you know, if you have the ability to support and you're a fan, please do. But if you can't, or if you're a casual reader, there's nothing locked behind a paywall, which is something that I appreciate because that's kind of my take on all this stuff as well. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, but if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and get all the details from Lou's video. Or if you prefer to read your Mr. News, you can scroll through Lou's post here. But let's just jump right in. There are talks of a 3DO core being worked on, and 
it's something that might be worked on across multiple platforms. I know other people have definitely jumped in to try to reverse engineer parts of the 3DO. So while this is not something you should expect soon, if you're a developer with the ability to work on this stuff, please check out the 3DO Discord, the Mr. Forums, or wherever else this conversation is going on, because I really do think more obscure consoles like the 3DO are almost equally as important to preserve as the, the big ones that we all knew and loved because there's just so much cool stuff on there and it's a good piece of history. So I would love to see that happen. Also, an interview was recently posted with Dave Shadoff, who worked on several Mr. FPGA cores. Uh, and this is an interview by the PCFX fan club. And while Dave has made uh, some progress on working on some of that, there's no, I don't think there's a PCFX core in the works now, but who knows, maybe that will eventually lead to something like that. But if you're into this stuff, Dave's certainly a good person to listen to when it comes to anything PC Engine related. <clears throat> uh, Pramod, who's working on NARC, had previously posted about needing to do optimizations to get it to fit in the FPGA. And he's now been able to get the logic usage down to 84% and still has room for more optimizations. So that's pretty awesome. That means NARC is definitely possible at least. Next, Darren O has given an update to the progress of the next space, which is an SNK vertical shooter. Most of the work had to do with debugging the video system, but currently sound or input hasn't been implemented yet. So that's kind of neat potential for that. Uh, Mistex has an update. Hans Beyer has made progress in adapting Mr. for use with other FPGA boards. Currently cores for Bombjack and Cuber are available, and the cores appear to be running on QM tech boards, with one powered by the Xilinx Arctic 7 and another running on the Cyclone 5, which is found on the DE10 Nano. So the short version of that is, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Hans Beyer is working on trying to get the same Mr. Framework with everybody's contributions that they've already spent years working on, working on other platforms, which I think is a great idea. So thanks, Hans. Uh, next, Pierco has released uh, five new games on for Patreon subscribers at the moment. Uh, it's a public post, so anybody could download the cores. You just have to go to Patreon. Sorry, I fumbled my words just now on that. Um, Jack the Giant Killer, Super Casino, Freeze, Tripool, and ZYX. I don't know how to pronounce that one, but there's cores available, and the next game on the agenda is to continue to work on Kick and Run, which is a soccer game, and PureCore also plans on continuing work on Rodland. Also, kind of huge news this week, OutRun is now completely public. Um, this was a Hotego core, and if you've been following Mr. Hotego, keeps beta stuff for Patreon subscribers only. I totally agree with this. That way you can keep your bug testing to a small group of people. Also, it incentivizes people to help fund all of the work that they've been doing. Uh, but now anybody could just run up, update all and get it. And it's uh, if you've been following these updates, a few more tweaks have done to make it even more stable. There's still a, a line in the road problem that also occurs on hang on, but it's not going to stop you from thoroughly playing and beating the game. It's just something that Hotego wants to fix in the future. Otego's also finished the Konami CPU design, which is uh, in the first core to come out of this will be the arcade game Haunted Castle, which is part of the Castlevania series. There's a lot more games that use that CPU, and any of the games are Simpsons, Aliens, there's a lot of them. So the fact that the CPU design is done is huge. This means hopefully in the relative future, we'll, uh, we'll be getting some even cooler arcade cores on Mr. 
Also, the first CPS3 chip has been, custom chip has been traced. You can see an image on it if you want on the Hoteco's Patreon page. And while this is a, a step forward, it's still not a CPS3 core. So don't go bugging the team for that yet. They're making excellent progress. Uh, Anton Gale has made a bunch of updates to the Xerian core, uh, as well as update to support the new YC video output, so S-Video and Composite. A new arcade core for Atari's vector arcade game Battlezone has been released by Alan SWX. That's awesome. I would love to see more vector games on the platform because I eventually hope to see another vector kit so we could convert standard CRTs to vector monitors. If anybody's listening to this, were there any vector games that were horizontally oriented or were they all vertically oriented? It would be cool for people to know who might be considering building custom cabs to eventually work on something like this. Hopefully, they're, I think they're all vertical, but I'm not an expert in that stuff. Next, another Atari Vector Arcade game has been released for the game Red Baron. And an alpha core for the M92 has been released uh, by Wickerwaka. And this has a bunch of good games. Not all are working at the moment, but you can get MRAs for Blade Master, Gun Force 1 and 2, Hook, In the Hunt, Lethal Thunder, Mystic Riders, Ninja Baseball, Batman, R-Type Leo, and Undercover Cops. So awesome work by Worker Waka. Thanks for releasing those. Um, once again, it's an alpha core, but you can still mess around with it manually if you want. Um, it's probably not going to be rolled into update all until at least it's beta, which I think is a smart move. That way, people who don't pay attention to lose updates wouldn't wonder, hey, why is this thing broken? It's not broken. It's just an alpha. Maybe it is broken, but that's how alpha stuff works. Anyway, as always, thanks so much to Lou for keeping us all in the loop of this stuff. There's no way I would be able to keep up with all of this. And this is such an awesome thing that we get to have these updates all in the same place. Crix has just opened up pre-orders on version 2 of the RGB Blaster, the device that sits between Famicom cartridges and original top-loading Famicom consoles that outputs RGB and sound via a Genesis 2-style DIN with no modding and no cutting involved. It's a complete plug-and-play adapter. And version 1 of this adapter I thought was awesome. It is zero lag, so you could even use it with light guns. However, there were some issues with it. And I posted a video or a, a, a live stream and a write-up showing people how a potential fix could work. I think that fixed most people's scenarios. However, version 2 has a video amplifying chip in here, so there's no brightness issues whatsoever. And sync should be run to both of the Genesis 2 Mini DIN's potential sync pins. C-Sync, obviously, but then composite video. Now, to be clear, this does not output composite video. This outputs sync over the composite video pin, which means any style Genesis 2 cable, so sync on composite, sync on C-Sync, will work with this. Any RGB SCART cable, HD retrovisions should work with this. So this is something that I haven't tested version 2 yet, I did buy version two and uh, price came to about 160, including shipping, which let's be honest, if you're using an original Famicom and you wanted to do an RGB mod and pay somebody else to do it, it's actually going to save you some money doing it this way. And there's no modding necessary. So I think that's a very fair price for it. But as soon as it arrives, I'm going to do another follow-up live stream, double check the voltages on everything. Quicks worked with Jen Fong and I to kind of go through it and make sure that everything was in the, it, in the range that it should be because remember with analog video there's never one solid number no two consoles are identical so it's within a good range i'll verify that of course just because i mean that's what i do but 
if you have a Famicom that's not modded and you want to be using it RGB, this might be your go-to. It will also, I believe, work with Sharp Twin Famicoms. You just have to remove the lever that goes through, um, or you might be able to have a different 3D printed case with this. Either way, that's a no cut mod. I believe you could just unbolt that, so it would work with it. And I know there's a few people working on cases for this, so has anybody thought about that as well? Is there a way to kind of make this work with the Twin Famicom with a case replacement? I'd love to hear your feedback on that. All you 3D printers out there, please let me know what you think. But I mean, obviously I want to verify it, but if all of the changes were implemented correctly, which probably was, then this is going to be a go-to for quite a lot of people. So definitely check it out if you're interested. And as soon as mine arrives, I'll do a quick review of it. Fixel has just opened pre-orders on an FM Towns Marty optical drive emulator. The price is $188 and they're due to ship in June of this year. And this ODE is kind of special because this emulates both the CD-ROM drive and the floppy drive. And if I'm getting this right, which I might not be because I've never even seen one of these in person, but I believe the floppy disk is what boots the game as well as saves the game. So if you have a dead CD-ROM drive and a dead floppy drive, you can't use any of the existing ODE solutions out there, whereas this one should tie it all together with one device. So if both of your drives are dead or even just one, maybe it's a good idea to unplug those, put this in its place, and that way you could kind of preserve the original. Or you could do like many of us do, and if you even have working original stuff, you still use an ODE to preserve original hardware, and you get all the benefits, loading times, everything's accessed faster and everything. So if you have an FM Towns Marty, I would call this an absolute must consider. Definitely check out the post. Check out Ronnie's original post, which I have linked here, of course, where he talked about how all of this stuff works and its relevance. So, you know, definitely check this out if you're interested. Seriously consider it. And I believe he's calling it the DMC88. So FM Towns Marty fans, now you actually have some pretty decent options that you'll actually be able to purchase. To anybody who runs a web store of any kind, do not put multiple items under the same URL unless they're directly related. Now, before I get into the details of this, I just want to politely remind everybody that I'm having this conversation with you all because I want you to be able to sell more stuff and I want the people looking to buy that stuff to have an easier experience getting it. And one of the things that's always drove me nuts is when I try to describe to people how to buy something. It's like, okay, you got to go to this website, but then you got to hit the drop down menu, but then you got to make sure to hit the check button after that. Imagine you're on your way to work or you're, you know, you're jogging or whatever else. And you're listening to this podcast or you're listening to a YouTube video in the background while you're working and you go, oh, I really want to buy that thing. And you go to click on it and it's, well, this isn't what they talked about. All right, well, let me check that. Uh, I don't have time for this. I'll come back later. How many sales do you think are lost for stuff like that? Because honestly, and I, once again, I mean this with love. The people who have extra money to spend on a lot of this stuff generally aren't people who have a ton of free time on their hands. So you want to cater to those people. And that's actually one of the main reasons behind RetroRGB.link. While, yes, I absolutely roll affiliate codes wherever I can into that because I'm not stupid. That's how I pay my bills. The main reason for it is so I could say things like, hey, if you want to pick up the latest HDMI to VGA converter that I've been using. Just go to retrorgb.link forward slash cheap deck. I could say that out loud and people could just hear it. You don't have to click on a link. There's no explanation. There's nothing else. 
So I want to go over some examples. And what sparked this conversation was Pork's SNES to NES adapter. Now, Pork gets half a pass for this one because the tracking information in that URL will bring you directly to that. Unfortunately, there's a drop-down menu that has multiple adapters that have nothing to do with each other. So if somebody removes that tracking code at the end, you might get to a page and go, this isn't that adapter. and Just not, not buy it at all because you're running around. You don't have time. Maybe your mobile phone doesn't have or the mobile app on your phone doesn't work well with the drop-down menus. That actually, I might have fumbled my words just now, that that happens more often than I would like to to admit where I go to a website and I try to click a drop down menu and it's just not working on my phone. So that was a you know that was kind of what sparked it, but you still get the tracking number on mraddons.com to go directly to it. So my very strong opinion based on trying to run websites that promote other websites is that if you want to use a drop down menu, and I'm going to use my friend Greg from Laser Bear's website because we're friends and if I piss him off you could just tell me, but um, when you have stuff like the N64 cartridge tray converter that allows you to use Japanese games on US consoles and vice versa. That's one product on one page. And hey, you just click on that drop down menu and now you select the color choice. So that makes sense. That's intuitive. You go to the main page, you go through, you select it. And Greg even implements tracking on that as well. So if for whatever reason I was talking about something and somebody said, oh, well, what color do you use? I could link directly to that color or link to the main page where then people could just use the dropdown. And even if you go directly to that color, you could still hit the dropdown menu and select a different one. So that's a win. Also, Greg has stuff like the GunCon 3 transmitters, IR receivers, transmitter, whatever, the GunCon 3 thingies. That one is a dropdown menu where you could select between do-it-yourself kits and main kits. And that one's kind of interesting because I think that's the right way to go about doing it. This is, that's, this is more of opinion. Everything I've said before is proven by years of running websites. My opinion is that's the right way to do it. I would just have the default be the full kit so that people in a rush don't go, you know, oh, wait, I don't have time to put this do-it-yourself kit together. Oh, I miss, must have misunderstood and walk away. At least that way people could do it. And if people are like, what the heck? I wanted to do this myself. Maybe that's a little bit of a motivation to click on the, the drop-down menu. But that's, you know, for stuff like, that that's kind of opinion. You can use your own, you, know, you could use your own judgment on that. But I see all the time, and this is a big one on AliExpress because you say AliExpress and people roll their eyes, but there's a lot of great sellers there. A garbage one too, just like eBay, but whatever. But there's a lot of AliExpress pages, most of them, in fact, where you can't link directly to the product you're talking about. So that drives me crazy. So if you're a seller on AliExpress definitely change that up. And unless there's some kind of seller thing on the platform that I'm not, that I don't know anything about, maybe they charge you more if you have more links. I don't know. I'm speculating, but if there's no actual reason for that, by all means, please just separate everything out because while most of the stuff that I link to does not have an affiliate link, which, you know, you don't have to, nobody ever has to have an affiliate link to be promoted on retro RGB. It does make my life a hell of a lot harder. So while this is a selfish thing to say, I'm promoting your product for free and you're making it way harder for me to try to sell your product for you to get it in the hands of people that want these things. So if nothing else, do me the favor, (laughs) separate your products so it's easier to link to. So I have a much easier time getting the stuff you're selling into the hands of the people that want it.
If you fully disagree with anything I'm saying, please post in the comments, but please know what the heck you're talking about. I've been running websites since the 90s. I've been focused on RetroRGB full-time for five years, and the focus of RetroRGB is to promote everybody else. That's my job, is to try to help you sell more things to people that didn't even know these things existed until we kind of started promoting them to everybody. So this weird little five-minute-ish rant is all based in love and wanting to help more. It's not criticism in a mean way. I'm sure somebody's going to be offended by it because that's a sport these days, but I'm just trying to help everybody. And this is not about anything other than trying to help streamline everybody's purchases and sales. So please, if you have any thoughts, post them, but have some experience behind those thoughts. Because <laughs> if, if you're like, that's not how websites work and you've never run a website before, eh, I'm probably just going to ignore you. So uh, by the way, I, I say that a lot, but there's most of the comments in these videos are either neutral, like thumbs up, thumbs down, good job, whatever, that's totally awesome, or very helpful. Trolling is at a minimum, but I just want to make sure I always regard those as well. So it's the least amount of that we have, the better. But I do appreciate all of everybody's feedback. So, you know, please, I will I will take it all seriously, especially if it's worded politely. Um, but let's let's try to make this easier for everybody else. Well, that's it for this week. This one's longer than the past few weeks, but as I always say, I like to make these as long as they need to be. I never care if they're 15 minutes or an hour, as long as I feel like I got all of the info out on everything that I needed to, then I feel like it's a good fit. As always, I want to hear your opinions about this. Respectfully, I will listen to your opinions, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm immediately going to change what I do, but I do want to hear what you have to think about this. Do you like mixing other stuff into these weeklies so that you could just get all of your Bob nerdiness in one spot? Would you rather me separate things? Do you not like some of the explanations and stuff? Please just let me know because I want to continue to do whatever it is that you all want to do because you're the only reason I'm able to do this. You supporting, liking, subscribing, and subscribing to support services like Floatplane and Patreon and even clicking on affiliate links are what keep this going. So without you, there's none of this. So thank you all so much. I want to keep doing it however you want me to. And I'll see you all next week. Thank <laughs> you.